0: today on the J Doherty Podcast. Super Tuesday is over and Joe Biden sweeps through the 14 prize states, earning a majority of the delegates in one of the biggest determiners of any presidential race. I have predicted for a long time that Bernie Sanders already wangled the nomination with his consistent victories in other primaries, but is that supposition potentially incorrect after these latest results? Also all within the past week, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, Billionaire Tom Steyer, Billionaire Michael Bloomberg, and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the race for president. How will their endorsements and the timing of their relinquishments play into how voters decide at the ballot box? Answer we'll all that and more on episode number one hundred and twenty-five of the Jay Doherty podcast. This is the Jay Doherty podcast, and now from Chicago, here's your host. That is correct, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. It's episode number one hundred twenty-five, the J-Dirty Podcast, three eleven p.m. on Saturday, March seventh, twenty twenty. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate your listenership. We are recording on the podcast and broadcasting live on j-doherty.com. Thank you very much for being here. So much to talk about this week. I know I've said many, many times that there has been a lot to talk about. I've said that debates were consequential. I've said that maybe some speeches and rallies were consequential for the 2020 presidential race. But without a doubt, this week was the most consequential, the most changing for the entire 2020 presidential race by far. Joe Biden comes out of the woodwork. He was in fourth place in almost every single poll for the majority of the time of this race. And all of a sudden in this week with sort of a perfect storm for Joe Biden, he just boosts up to first in every poll, in every in, in every voting precinct, uh, I mean not every, but the majority of of the delegates voted for Joe Biden in Super Tuesday. He earned a plurality of the delegates and he also won the majority of the states of course he did not get California, which is sort of the big prize because it has the most delegates. We'll talk about that in a second but this was an incredible race for Joe Biden an incredible race overall. Of course the the uh, states that report are Alabama which Joe Biden won Arkansas which Joe Biden won California Bernie Sanders won that one Colorado Bernie Sanders, Maine Joe Biden, Massachusetts Joe Biden not Elizabeth Warren her hometown Minnesota Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar. That's her hometown, the, the the state that she represents in the Senate. She lost that one as well. Joe Biden winning it. North Carolina won, uh, or sorry, Joe Biden won North Carolina. Joe Biden won Oklahoma. Joe Biden won Tennessee. Joe Biden won Texas. Bernie Sanders won Utah, and of course Bernie Sanders won his own his uh, home state of Vermont, and Joe Biden won Virginia. So he, I mean. Just, just compare that right there. There are a lot of states that Joe Biden won. He won the majority of the states. He won 10 states, including Texas. Bernie Sanders won the largest prize of the night, California. 610 delegates go to Biden. 513 go to Sanders. 61 went to Bloomberg. And sort of an uncountable number <laughs> went to Elizabeth Warren. And there's still 102 that uh, are still to be awarded. 63.3% of the vote uh, in Alabama was to Joe Biden. I mean, in, in Vermont, 58, 50.8% was to Bernie Sanders. No surprise, it's his hometown. He's been reelected from his state for the past 6 trillion years. And it was, it was just amazing to see all these states fold out on the Knights. And after winning South Carolina... Joe Biden really needed to win Super Tuesday badly if he wanted to stay in the race and actually prove himself as a viable and electable candidate, especially as opposed to Bernie Sanders, who came out extremely strong, just like Pete Buttigieg in the New Hampshire uh, uh, primaries in the Iowa caucuses. I mean, the race has changed so fast since last week, since when, when I publish this podcast, which comes out every Saturday. I mean, three weeks ago, I would have said that Biden was a total goner in this race. Every single poll, fourth place, everywhere. He was first nationally. He was the front runner. I mean, as the networks declared it. But you know, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, they were the ones that were leading out. And I, I said, you know, that this is not. I mean, literally, when uh, Pete Buttigieg won the Iowa caucuses, uh, I said that this is not going to last for long. Pete Buttigieg, will literally, it is a, it is a great, great top of the mountain, and from here we go down for Pete Buttigieg. Joe Biden it was the opposite. You start really really low in super white states by the way. New Hampshire, Iowa, we talked about this before, 93% white on average between these states. That's why Bernie Sanders came out really strong and more specifically and uh you know, more directly, that's why Pete Buttigieg came out strong in these states. Joe Biden, the other way around. Started off really slow, went up super high. South Carolina in Super Tuesday. Uh so, and I'm glad that this this is how it worked out in in some ways because You know, if Joe Biden imagine if Joe Biden were to drop out, he wouldn't do that. But imagine if he if he dropped out after South Carolina, or you know, just had some I mean, you know, inkling in himself to say you know this isn't this isn't worth it or this isn't going to work. I don't think he would ever do that. But I'm just saying, you know, he he it took a little while to kick in his victories and his potential for victory. The big question every year. is, uh, no matter what the race is whatsoever, it is who will win California? Because that is the state with the largest number of delegates, and it is always very, very liberal. liberal. And expectedly, Sanders won California by quite the margin. Uh, but that's actually not what a lot of the polls projected. I mean, as we know, California is incredibly left of center, uh, both locally and nationally. But the polls had a radical alternative to Bernie Sanders leading in that state. And unfortunately, that radical alternative does not politically exist anymore. Of course, I'm speaking of Elizabeth Warren. We'll talk about her relinquishments of this presidential race later, but I do think that it is funny that the polls projected that she had a pretty generous margin for a potential victory in California, and then she just totally fails in her campaign strategy, the implementation of her policies, and in her really uh, repetitive and displeasing attacks through the debates, which all led to her dropping out. I mean, she lost big time in even her own states. But the polls for California are really interesting. 538 did an average of polls from uh, November to October from UC Berkeley Survey USA, PPIC, Capital Weekly, Change Research, Survey USA. They all say that Biden, sorry, that Warren was winning. She would get 24% in California. One Capital Weekly poll, or sorry, one Capital Weekly poll put her at 35%. 35% of California. And she was getting, on average, all those polls averaged out to 24%. Biden, as the polls say since October 1st, was above leading second place Sanders. In other words, Bernie Sanders was in third place. Buttigieg was in fourth. Right? So you can see, I mean, it's sort of an odd gradation if you actually think about it, because Biden is clearly more moderate uh, but Warren is the first choice, who's sort of the radical alternative to Bernie Sanders, if for whatever reason you don't like Bernie Sanders. And then it goes down to Warren, and then it goes down to maybe Buttigieg, and I'm talking about in terms of radicalism in this, if that's, you know, even a category that you define. Uh, but that that's sort of how it plays out. But for some reason, it was sort of maybe this is just a polling flaw, or maybe this is just how California works. I don't really—there's <laughs> a lot of complications within California right now. But it— goes, in these polls, it goes Warren, Biden, Sanders. Wouldn't you think it would go Warren, Sanders, Biden, or maybe Sanders, Warren, Biden? For a while, many, many months before Super Tuesday, Sanders in third place in California. And then he just comes out and dominates in Ca- in California, winning the entire state. 33.6% going to Sanders, who is in front of Biden at 25.3%. Warren only earning 12.3%. Again, these polls say from 538, an average from many, many pollsters, they say Warren 24%. She earns half of that, 12.3%. California for uh, Biden, 25.3%. Bloomberg, 14.1%. Disappointing night for Bloomberg. We'll talk about that in a second. But, you know... California is in it's an unpredictable state largely because it is incredibly liberal it's sort of you don't know where it's going to go but you also know that it's not a swing state because it's just historically liberal and you have to it's sort of a gauge of radicalism that's that's what you have to sort of predict and that's what these polls sometimes don't do a great job of they they can in certain situations because you I mean they're literally statistical facts but at a large scale because California is so geographically large and because their delegate numbers are so high It's sort of hard to predict. I don't want to bore you by going through every single state's results, so I did want to point out California. Uh, So let's just talk about how Bernie reacted to his loss, and maybe more interestingly, how Joe Biden reacted to his win. We'll begin with Bernie. He was very, very energetic, and he basically repeated what he says at almost every single one of his campaign rallies that he's ever had. Um, it wasn't over when these candidates uh, went out. The, the The precincts, all the precincts, haven't reported completely at the time that these speeches were given. But it was sort of clear that uh, Biden had a substantial lead, and this was on the night of this uh, of Super Tuesday, as the polls were still being counted. Here is here is Bernie Sanders effectively surrendering his victory on Tuesday. But tonight, I tell you with absolute confidence, we are going to win the Democratic nomination, and we are going to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of this country. So he's still sort of confident. Uh, it doesn't really, his confidence does not cease during his, you know, I mean, his concession speeches effectively. I mean, not, not in the entire race, but within uh, Super Tuesday. Joe Biden was sort of the same way. He had some gaffes, though, of course, as to be expected from Joe Biden. In the beginning of his speech, he he confused his sister for his wife and his wife for his sister, which is sort of a classic Joe Biden moment. It helps to see the video, but you can still tell from the audio. They don't call Super Tuesday for nothing. By the way, this is my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, this is... you the- <laughs> switched on me. This is my wife. This is my sister. They switched on me. Okay. All right, so more seriously, though, Joe Biden uh, had some stuff to say at his victory speech. Uh, Part of it was really interesting. The other part uh, was not really as interesting. Here is one of the more interesting parts. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits had declared the campaign dead. And then came South Carolina, and they had something to say about it. And we're told, well, when he got to Super Tuesday, it'd be over. Well, it may be over for the other guy. So I'm here to report. We are very much alive! And make no mistake about it. This campaign will send Donald Trump packing. This campaign is taking off. Join us! So, okay, so, first of all, uh, whoever does the audio for Joe Biden's campaign, I mean, (laughs) horrible quality, and that wasn't just... uh, I I search around for for hours, not hours, but tens of minutes trying to find a better audio club for for these Biden speeches. Just the campaign, got to get better audio uh, suggestion if you want to win the nomination. Anyway, looking ahead into this upcoming week's primary, we'll see sort of a less Super Tuesday, as I like to call it, on March 10th with Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington. They're all voting in their primaries. And uh, based off of some polls from 538, which generally are comprised of averages, and also my own observations uh, that are less statistically based about these states, I'll make some predictions. I will do that. And we'll have final predictions at the end of the podcast. Uh, but I have to say, right now, at this very moment, and this is not being set in stone, just like my Sanders predictions were not set in stone, I think Joe Biden has the largest shot of winning the nomination of the Democratic Party. And it is not because that Joe Biden is some amazing candidate that is, you know, the best candidate to ever exist. It's not like he's some savior of the Democratic Party in any way. It's because Bernie Sanders is just horrible. I think really that's what it is. But I do want to talk about these upcoming primaries. We'll see them on March 10th. Michigan, one of the states that is being looked at heavily. Uh, I think Biden's going to win that one. Uh, 538 says Biden is forecasted to win an average of 51% of the vote in Michigan, 80% of simulations, which, again, 538 runs all these simulations that are really, really interesting, thousands of voting outcomes, and then they average all of them. They say that he wins between 43% and 60% of the vote in those simulations. He has a 77% chance of winning uh, the most votes, much better than the second most likely winner, Sanders, who has a 23% chance. So that sort of unquestionably is going to uh, go into Biden's going to win it. But in terms of delegates, he's forecasted to win an average of 69 pledged delegates out of a possible 125, 80 percent of simulations say that he wins between 57 and 79 delegates. He has a 76 percent chance of winning the most delegates, which is much better uh, than the second most likely winner, Sanders, who has a 24 percent chance. So both in terms of delegates and votes, uh, Biden is the clear winner. Uh, right now, 23.7% of the average forecasted statewide delegates go to Biden, 193 to Sanders, as it stands right now. Now, Washington, again, we look at these western strips of the geographical part, or the, if you look at the western strips uh, of countries, in ge- geographically speaking, Sanders is basically leading in all of them because a lot of them, like, for example, Oregon, Washington, they are incredibly liberal states, super liberal states. And um, you know he's for Bernie Sanders is basically going to win that entire western strip of the country, uh, and that includes California. He's forecasted to win, and he already has. But he's forecasted to win forty-four percent of the vote in Washington, whose state is going to vote in three days on March tenth. And eighty percent of the simulations, he wins between thirty-six and fifty-two percent of the vote. Sixty-two percent chance of winning the most vote. Uh, and which is substantially better, but not as different as the Michigan poll. 38% chance of winning against Biden, who is right now being declared statistically the most likely winner of the nomination. A week ago, literally no one would say that Joe Biden would be the nominee of this party. People predicted that he would win a plurality of the delegates in 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 uh, Super Tuesday. Is, well, actually, more specifically, South Carolina. I mean, you know, and we talked about that, I believe. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode, why he won that way. But few people said that he would have such a sweeping victory, earning the majority of the states, the plurality of the delegates, hundreds of delegates going to Joe Biden, who was in fourth place in most polls a couple weeks ago. So... That's what it stands right now in terms of voters in Washington. But in terms of delegates, Sanders is forecasted to win an average of forty-six. And again, Washington is a smaller state, so it was only eighty-nine delegates as opposed to, I believe, it was one hundred and twenty-five in Michigan. Yeah, it was. So, in eighty percent of simulations, he wins between thirty-six percent, fifty-two percent of the vote. Sixty-two percent chance of winning the most votes, and as opposed to Biden, who has a two-in-five, thirty-eight percent chance of winning. Uh, the oh, sorry, yeah, thirty-eight uh, percent chance of winning those delegate votes. Um, and and so yeah, 89 pledged delegates completely in that state. 16 percent of those average forecasted statewide delegates go to Sanders, 14.8 to Biden, according to 538. Missouri, also a, a state that is going to be playing out in this uh, March 10th primary, Biden is going to win again. Missouri as a state. Is is sort of left of center, more moderate, of course. And basically, if you hate radical leftism and communism and socialism, then Biden is your guy because it is this race in the Democratic Party, as of one week ago, has become so so binary in the way that it is. Well, actually, no, it just has become binary. It's not like it's a degradation of binary. It binaryism. It is. I just, I don't think that's a word, but it has become super binary by the fact that Biden and Bernie are your only choices. So by that virtue, Bernie Sanders is by and large the minority of candidates and people who support him, ideologically speaking. People like the idea of Bernie Sanders' enthusiasm. They like the idea of his existence as a whole, the way he presents himself, the way he—I mean—his ideas that he puts forward just blatantly and, and and directly when you look at the facts, it's just he's, he literally is going to single-handedly destroy the United States economy if, if the Congress wouldn't stop him. And, of course, the Congress, I mean, it, it the long-term implications of Bernie Sanders becoming the president of the United States for the Democratic Party and for the entire country is just horrible. You cannot go, no matter who the person is, you just cannot go way too far left and way too far right, especially when you begin with a moderate Republican president. In terms of policy, you can't just jolt the nation all the way to the left. I mean, we saw that, or at least I was—I've read in history we've seen that in Nixon elections with—I think it was George McGovern. I mean, it just—it's just not—it's just not, not smart, uh, and that's—that's that's that. I want to continue here with these uh, states in March 10th. Biden is forecasted to win 57% of the vote in Missouri. He does forty eight between forty eight percent and sixty six percent of the vote. He has an eight nine chance of winning the most votes. Uh, which is much much better than Sanders, who only is forecast to win 11% in Missouri. Uh, Biden is uh, forecasted to win 40% or no 40 pledged delegates out of a possible 68. Again, Missouri smaller. 80% of the simulations, 33 and 45 delegates are going to be in between. He has an 89% chance of winning the most delegates. Sanders has only a 13% chance of winning the delegates. So again, it's a two percent split between delegates and the actual people who are voting. It's incredibly. Incredibly slim chances for Bernie Sanders to come out and win Missouri. Biden is the clear winner in Missouri uh, right now. In Mississippi, Biden again going to win. Similar state, more moderate. Uh, there are some strong Sanders supporters, and because uh, Biden has such heavy support within uh, black and brown communities, particularly black communities, uh, he's definitely going to win uh, Mississippi by quite the margin. 61% say in this 538 simulation and polls that he's going to win In Mississippi, he has a 97% chance of winning the most votes. (laughs) So, Bernie Sanders has a 3% chance, effectively. So, there's no doubt in anyone's mind, just like South Carolina, that Biden is going to win Mississippi. There are 36 possible delegates. Biden's forecast to win 25 of them. He has a a 97% chance of winning the most delegates, 4% chance for uh, Sanders. In Idaho, Sanders is going to win. Now, this is sort of an interesting one because... um, Sanders, yeah, forecast to win 46% of the vote in Iowa. He has a 52% chance of winning the most votes, which is just slightly, not much better than 48% who go to Biden. So it is a close race in Idaho. It'll be a really interesting state to see who wins. I do think Sanders is going to win, but in terms of average forecasted statewide delegates, there's both average out to three and a half according to 538, but in terms of district-level delegates, which actually are more important on a local level, uh, Bernie Sanders wins by just 0.2 on average. So, it's actually pretty interesting to see what's going to happen in Idaho. Um, I'd love to see the demographics uh, of Idaho, but it will be really sort of uh, odd to see. I mean, so right now, I'm just looking at the I- I Idaho demographics, according to the 2020 World Population Review. They say that there are 1.8 million people in Iowa, and if I can find these, 90.49% of the people in Idaho are white. Now, I, I knew it was going to be in the upper 80s, but for sure, above 80s, uh, and there are only 0.68% of people in Idaho are black. So, <laughs> Biden, that's a clear uh, loser for Biden, specifically, because there, there are a lot of African American people throughout this country that are supporting Biden quite intensely, And uh, these white states, just like we saw in majority white states, I should say, and again, I don't like to talk about race in this way, but it's just sort of the way that political pundits speak and the way that you sort of have to analyze these things. Uh, New Hampshire and Iowa were all very, very heavy white states. Joe Biden did not win those. Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders did. Bernie Sanders has a lot of, for some reason, and again, these are liberal towns, for some reason, Bernie Sanders appeals to sort of these out, out of the way demographics I wouldn't really think that Bernie Sanders would appeal to. I mean, in, in terms of his ideas because there are a lot of young, young people and again, even young people did not show up as me, as much as Bernie Sanders uh, imagined them to or wanted them to and that is part of the reason that he won Super Tuesday. It's not because maybe they hate him. It's mostly because people just don't vote and it's not good. Like, people that are under 30 don't generally vote. Uh, in these elections, according to statistics, generally speaking. In North Dakota, which is a more uh, moderate state, Biden's forecast to win 46% of the vote. He wins between 34%, 59% of the vote in simulations. He has a 57% chance of winning the most votes, a bit better than the second most likely winner, Bernie Sanders, who has a 43% chance. So I think this will definitely go to uh, North Dakota only because of how historically moderate the state has been. If you look sort of how how it goes across uh, in terms of history, and literally look, there's a fabulous map that was uh, published on a YouTube video, I believe it was by Business Insider, they show how it's been sort of moderate. Uh, So that'll be really interesting to see. Um, And that's, that's where it stands right now in terms of states voting in this upcoming March 10th primary. We'll see what happens there. And I think... Um, the other thing that will play a large factor into this race is who endorses who and what positions, if any, these candidates, these former candidates will be given. Because we have to remember that the only people that exist right now in this race, in terms of Democrats, if you, I mean, really, if you make it such a point to include Tulsi Gabbard, who's definitely not going to be the next president of the United States, she's still in the race officially. I don't know why. But effectively, this race has come down to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. The majority of the people who have dropped out as of recent have endorsed Joe Biden. The majority of the people who have dropped out overall have endorsed Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren has not endorsed Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, and she's holding off. So I don't know what that what's going to happen there, but we'll talk about it when we come back from on this episode of the Jay Doherty podcast. But first, I want to ask you, do you have any opinions that you would like me to... To, to ask me about literally any of my opinions about politics, because if you do, you now have the opportunity to do so. All you have to do is text those questions to 312-625-8492, and at the final episode of each month, I'll be reading them and doing my best to answer them right here on the Jay Doherty Podcast. All you have to do is text 312-625-8492, ask your questions, and hear my perspective on the last episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Really, really interesting stuff that we're going to be um, coming to see here in the next couple of days In This election we're actually going to see a lot of what's going I mean assuming Biden is the nominee which I personally personally as an independent politically independent person really really hope that Biden is the nominee. I think he is much better alternative for the party and for the country than Bernie Sanders is and I really want to see what positions if any as he's sort of hinted at we'll talk about this in a second what he's going to give to really politically intelligent people like Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. What what positions is he going to give to them? If any, are they going to be in the cabinet? Are they going to be advisor roles? I don't know. We'll talk about it next. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. To the J Doherty podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Jay Doherty podcast. Thank you very much for being here. So much to talk about. We're going to come back. We of course just talked about the uh, existence of poll numbers within this race. What happened in Super Tuesday? What's going to happen in the next primary? And how Joe Biden is effectively leading this entire race right now. And that in a lot of that has to do with the amount of candidates that also happen to drop out in this recent week here. Which a lot of it, a lot of that, uh, those dropouts contrib- con- geez, contributed to Joe Biden's success. Let me begin by saying that there has never been a more consequential consequential week, 2020 presidential election than the week that we just experienced. I said that before. I will say it again to remind you: if you're listening on the live stream, or if you came back listening on the Doherty Files right now. South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, billionaire Tom Steyer, billionaire Michael Bloomberg, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, they all dropped out of the race and in that order. The big question right now is who will endorse who? And the general answer for every single person except for Elizabeth Warren and Tom Steyer is Joe Biden. Everyone is moving to Joe Biden. He won South Carolina, he won Super Tuesday, and now he's getting these endorsements. It's a perfect combination, and it's probably going to contribute to lots of his success in the upcoming primaries. Uh, especially for for more not not radical, let's just say, but more progressive voters who were looking to Buttigieg to balance things out. I mean, he was pretty heavy within the upper middle class, the middle class, that sort of area. That the the, the very you know the people who, I mean, the, the, that's sort of the crowd that he appealed to, and. There were also some. He, he, I mean, he progressively got more progressive. Let's just put it that way, from the beginning of his campaign to the end of it. Or at least that's how he publicized himself, and it's probably his advisors' recommendations to 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 do that and to act that way. But he got more progressive, and he attracted more, uh, you know, left thinkers. So uh, we'll see what happens there. And I think that this endorsement that Pete Buttigieg gave out to Joe Biden and some others as well is really, really going to help him in the upcoming presidential election. But we're going to begin here with all the people who dropped out, how they dropped out, and what they said in their dropout speech. The first person, and I guess this is the least <laughs> consequential out of all of them, was Joe Biden. it's uh, Not Joe Biden, Tom Steyer. Uh, this, this dropout was, was simple and inevitable, to put it simply. Here is Tom Steyer basically saying, look, I didn't see that this could work. I thought it could work, but I failed. There's no question today. That this campaign, we were disappointed with where we came out. But I said if I didn't see a path to winning, that I'd suspend my campaign. And honestly, I can't see a path where I can win the presidency. Okay, well, he cannot see a path. And by transitive property, according to his previous statement, he is going to drop out of the race for president. Did not endorse anyone. He said a couple things about how he's going to keep fighting and doing other things with his his multi-billion dollar fortune, $2 billion dollars. He's probably going to, you know, continue to exist coexistingly with the, you know, community and within very liberal communities and continue to pour more of his own money into research and such. But no presidential or maybe political uh, areas for improvement or expansion with Mr. Thomas Steyer. Pete Buttigieg was the first one uh, after Steyer, the first notable one, in my opinion, to make the move and actually the smartest way of doing it, in my opinion. I'm very sad to see that Pete Buttigieg dropped out. He was far and above the, the smartest and most talented politician in the entire presidential race, and he was, he was actually the first, in my opinion, uh, notable to drop out in this slew of recent dropouts. He announced that he was suspending his campaign for president in South Bend, Indiana, which is uh, his hometown. Here's Pete Buttigieg saying that he's going to drop out. So tonight, I am making the difficult decision to suspend my campaign for the presidency. I will no longer seek to be the 2020 Democratic nominee for president, but I will do everything in my power to ensure that we have a new Democratic president come January. So as I said before, Buttigieg endorsed Joe Biden, no surprise. He he seemed to, uh, I mean, Buttigieg during the campaign actually was pretty anti-Biden. I mean, he was anti-Bernie too, obviously, like incredibly anti-Bernie, but uh, Buttigieg and Biden, we can't ignore the tension they had. Uh, but I think Buttigieg, being the intelligent politician that he is, recognizes that the Democratic Party cannot fall into the trap of a socialist Menshevik, nineteen seventeen Bolshevik esque revolution that most people don't even understand. And minus the Menshevik there, I, I think Pete Buttigieg, being the you know intelligent person he is, recognizes completely. You know, that Joe Biden, that, well, not Joe Biden specifically, but the idea that we cannot fall into a socialist revolution of a radical overtaking within a government that has worked somewhat well, and that's putting it lightly, for the past couple hundred years, we cannot just radically change that and jolt the politics of our nation. Pete Buttigieg seemed to understand that, leading to his endorsement to Joe Biden. We made it clear that the whole idea was about rallying the country together to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for the values that we share. And that was always a goal that was much bigger than me becoming president. And it is in the name of that very same goal that I'm delighted to endorse and support Joe Biden for president. Pretty good, right? He endorses Joe Biden for president. Uh, according to an article from the New York Times by by Reed Epstein and Tripp Gabriel, on a conference call with campaign donors on Sunday evening, Mr. Buttigieg said that he reached the decision with regret, but concluded it was the, quote, right thing to do when we looked at the math. That's according to one person on the call. Without mentioning opponents by name, Mr. Buttigieg was concerned about the impact that he'd have on the race by staying in, saying Democrats needed to, quote, field the right kind of nominee, unquote, against Mr. Trump. Uh, they say, and I was just sort of surprised to hear this, Mr. Buttigieg talked with Mr. Biden and former President Barack Obama on Sunday night, according to a Democratic official similar, familiar with the conversations. Mr. Biden asked for Mr. Buttigieg's support, and the former mayor was indicated that he would consider the request. Mr. Buttigieg wants to sleep on the decision. He told aides, some of whom believe he should move quickly to endorse Biden. Now, this is interesting. Mr. Obama did not specifically encourage Mr. Buttigieg to endorse Mr. Biden, said the official, who insisted on the anonymity to discuss private conversations, but Mr. Obama did note that Buttigieg has considerable leverage at the moment and should think about how to best use it. Okay, that's very broad, but maybe indicative of a larger point. Mr. Obama did note that Mr. Buttigieg has considerable... Oh, sorry. No, sorry. Should Mr. (laughs) Buttigieg... I already read that. Should Mr. Buttigieg endorse Mr. Biden on Monday, it could reshape... The Democratic Party, if many of his supporters, shift to Mr. Biden, creating a more formidable centrist challenge to Mr. Sanders's progressive movement. I love the three words, formidable centrist challenge. That's what we like, right? Formidable centrist challenges. In his remarks, Mr. Buttigieg directed criticism towards Mr. Sanders without naming him that he had previously made on the debate stage, on the campaign trail. We need leadership to heal divided nation, not to drive us further apart, he said. We need a broad-based agenda to truly deliver for the American people, not one that gets lost in its ideology. We need an approach strong enough not only to win the White House, but to hold the House with the Senate and send Mitch McConnell into retirement. So that, that sentence right there from the New York Times, and that's Pete Buttigieg speaking, that is why Pete Buttigieg is an intelligent politician. Right right there. He recognized the holistic concept. He knows that the, pres- the office of the pres- presidency is not enough to actually push an ideology. That electing someone like Bernie Sanders with Bernie Sanders esque ideas and ideologies would literally send the country down the tubes, and that I mean over time, especially if if there if there's sort of an un, you know an awakening within Congress as well. But I mean, the question for Mr. Buttigieg now is, you know. But also for all the other candidates, I suppose, as well. Who will endorse the potential winner of the general election? And in, in the, I mean, any anyone who does that. The question for all of them is, what position will they give to that person? Because Buttigieg announced when I was playing that clip of him endorsing Biden, Biden was standing right behind him. Biden gave him a big hug, of course, saying that. And again, as Barack Obama has noted, Buttigieg has a lot of leverage. He can sway a lot of votes towards Biden. He... He has, and he probably will. And I would not be surprised if all those numbers that I read out previously, as projected by 538 and average from some other pollsters, if those numbers are higher for Biden as a result of Buttigieg's endorsement and as a result of other people's endorsements, which we'll talk about in a second. But the big question is, what position will Buttigieg get? What position will other Joe Biden, people who Joe Biden like, people who have endorsed Joe Biden, what positions will they get, if any, if any? Inside the White House. Biden hinted at it but was very unspecific about what position he would consider giving to Pete Buttigieg, assuming he won the presidency in 2020. I did speak to Pete Buttigieg um, a couple days ago to encourage him to stay engaged because he has enormous talent. And I indicated to him that if I became the nominee, I'd come and ask him to be part of an administration, to be engaged in moving things forward. Okay. Well, it seems that if Biden were to ever become the nominee, he would not let Buttigieg stay behind. So that's sort of interesting. The other person uh, who is really talented and dropped out, uh, very close to uh, Pete Buttigieg in terms of time, Amy Klobuchar. So I've long said that Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar were my two favorite presidential candidates running for office in this moment. I thought they were both... Talented, I thought Buttigieg is a much better public speaker than Klobuchar, but on a policy level and in terms of fundamental knowledge of American values and ways to progressively develop them, uh, ways to progressively develop them, I thought that they were best suited to represent all of America. And I think, um, or actually no, I know Amy Klobuchar dropped out this past week and also happened to immediately endorse Joe Biden, while Joe Biden stood behind her at a Joe Biden rally standing in front of a podium that has a big Joe Biden logo on it. We need Texans, we need to unite our party and our country and to do it not just with our words but with our actions. It is up to us, all of us, to put our country back together to heal this country and then to build something even greater. I believe we can do this together. And that is why today I am ending my campaign and endorsing Joe Biden for president. All right. All right. So I can't say that it was not uh, sort of predicted that he that she would do that, considering that she was at a Joe Biden rally and sitting in front of a Joe Biden, uh, you know, at a Joe Biden podium and in front of a bunch of Joe Biden supporters. But Joe Biden, for some reason in the video, just looked stunned out of his mind that she endorsed him. I don't know what that was, sort of emotional for Mr. Biden. Um, And in terms of positions for Ms. Klobuchar in the future, she did a New York Times interview uh, in which she sort of goofed up her answer to one of the questions. There's no audio uh, for this interview as it was just a print interview with the paper. But the reporter asked, quote, did you discuss any positions with Mr. Biden or anything like that should he win the White House? And then, this is sort of this goofy Amy Klobuchar not good at public speaking kicking in here. I knew that he, every position he had, every single one of them. We did 10 debates he was on the stage for, and then the lady interrupts saying, no, I mean positions in a possible future administration. And, like, she was thinking positions in terms of policy and, you know, like, do you know what position he has on Medicare for All? Like, I mean, you know, like stupid, you know, public knowledge questions. And then she says, oh, you can see we didn't because I didn't even know what you're talking about there. No, we did not. No, not not at all. I wouldn't even have thought of doing that. I was endorsing him to help him. And this is, again, from the New York Times interview. And it didn't even cross my mind to try to take, make some deal or anything like that. So I don't know if that was staged. I'd love to see the tone of the of the interview. I don't think it was staged. I think she truly did not was not thinking about that. But from Biden's perspective, the message was a bit different. I, I mean, I, maybe it's just a one-way line of communication here. But from Biden's perspective, it was totally different. He appended his remarks about Buttigieg being in his administration by labeling Klobuchar as talented as well. And and I just heard, I didn't know, I don't know this to be a fact, that that Amy has suspended her campaign. She is also of great talent. So, and that's again, right after saying that he would consider Pete Buttigieg as a person for his administration. Someone who's not going to be in his administration is Michael Bloomberg. He dropped out after just 109 days, hundreds of millions of dollars, and an overflow of social media posts of a billionaire septuagenarian trying to look relatable, Michael Rubens Bloomberg has ended his campaign for president, and he has immediately endorsed Joe Biden. Here he is. I've always believed that defeating Donald Trump starts with uniting behind the candidate with the best shot to do it. And after yesterday's vote, it is clear that candidate is my friend and a great American, Joe Biden. If you remember, I entered the race for president to defeat Donald Trump. And today, I am leaving the race for the same reason, to defeat Donald Trump, because staying in would make it more difficult to achieve that goal. Okay. Uh, Good last sentence there. Spending is astronomical. It was astronomical, I should say, but it's being slightly exaggerated by some pundits, I have to say. MSNBC, and this is they're coming under fire for this, I mean, thrown into question after this anti-Bloomberg analyst, you know, wandered uh, into the studio of MSNBC and corroborated incorrect math, like basic incorrect math, uh, from someone who tweeted out an incorrect tweet that violates the basic principle of math 327 million times over. Here is a tweet that was being displayed and discussed on MSNBC the other day. But you see it as a possibility if he wants to spend a billion bucks beating this guy, he could do it. Absolutely. Um, somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. Got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. It, when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent 500 million on ads. U.S. population, 327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American one million dollars and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it it's true it's disturbing it it's does not true. it does suggest you know what we're talking about here which is there, there's too much money in politics um, mm. and it makes it difficult because what we okay, want blah, blah 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 so she's sort of consuming in, in promoting a confirmation bias of, of incorrect factual information that it's like not even politically motivated it's just the simple premise of arithmetic so this is one of the most by far the most embarrassing moments I've ever seen on live TV I mean they, they all they had to do literally simple math simple math. They didn't even have to do it. They could literally have asked Siri. Like I'll do it right now and turn off your phones if you don't wanna be bothered by this. But what if I say, let's see if I can get my phone on a channel on the board here. If I say, Hey Siri, what is fifty-eight point four billion divided by three hundred and twenty seven million? That would be about one hundred seventy-eight point five nine three two. Oh, okay. So they were only nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand eight hundred twenty one dollars and four cents off. Not a big deal, I suppose. But the guy who, who tweeted out this originally is named Makita Rivas, and he changed his Twitter bio to, I know I'm bad at math. So at least he's self-aware. But Brian Williams, the host you heard there, was being criticized pretty heavily for even promoting that and, you know, having that lady on who promoted and corroborated an untrue statement on live TV. There was an interesting article from The Washington Post, which is titled, No, Michael Bloomberg could not give every American $1 million, by Philip Bump was a really funny graphic that they put out where they sort of try to explain basic math to everyone uh, and it's really basic math I mean literally it is the most basic of basic maths it's just large numbers that happen to exist um, but there's also this really funny article that I saw that sort of base that breaks down why uh, it is hard for people to understand how much money he spent and it's mostly because m- no one has that kind of money but a lot of it, actually, according to an article, has to do with uh, evolution and pe- pe- you know humans understand humans' ability to understand scale as a group as just a general concept. The article from Mister Bump, I believe. Yeah, Mr. Bump says, quote, Humans aren't necessarily bad at math, but we are indisputably bad at scale. As we evolved, we had no need to intuitively understand the concept of a million, much less a billion. We get the difference between one and one thousand, but the tradition from million to billion feels more like a transition from ten to twenty than going from a thousand thousands to a thousand thousand thousands. Combine that the blind spot with a predisposition to see Bloomberg spending as wasteful, and here we are. Right, so it's not even, and again, this is the reason that she made this mistake, this is the reason that uh, Mr. Williams made the mistake, it's the reason that Mr. Uh, Riva made this mistake. Is that, I believe that was his name. Uh, let's make sure, was it, uh, Rivas, sorry, Mr. Rivas made the mistake. The reason is because people have this idea that, you know, first of all, the jump between million to billion is much harder than, you know, one to two, but also because, uh, then, because there's just this hatred towards spending money and this hatred towards, and this idea that it's just wasteful to, to uh, you know, splurge your money on a presidential race in a country that is supposed to be a democracy. They think it's sort of an interventionism within democracy. So Bloomberg has a lot of money. There's an interesting graph that they made which shows the the scale of $1 billion and the way that he has spent all of the, the money that he has, and the, the fraction of his wealth that he's actually spent on this campaign. Elizabeth Warren is sort of the only radical that was hanging on for quite some time, actually, and she complicated things by overstaying her welcome in the race for president as well. Everyone was dropping out, everyone. I mean, like, you know, all those people that I was just talking about, Mike Bloomberg, Tom Steyer, Amy Klobuchar, P. Buttigieg, and Elizabeth Warren, just for whatever reason, found, you know, felt a little bit com- more comfortable than she should have been staying in the race for a couple extra days. It just complicated things. It was very clearly externally and probably internally that the race would come down to Bernie and Biden on the Democratic side. But for some reason, she just continued to exist in this race for absolutely no apparent reason whatsoever. Here is Warren announcing that she's dropping out. I announced this morning uh, that I am suspending my campaign for president. Um, I say this with a deep sense of gratitude. For every single person who got in this fight, every single person who tried on a new idea, every single person who just moved a little in their notion of what a president of the United States should look uh, okay. like. Okay, so she, so <laughs> that's sort of a ridiculous way to end your campaign. I think the gratitude part is very good. I don't know if she actually means it, but the way she was speaking, you know, she says, I, I want to move everyone's notion of what a president can look like. So look, I... I am all for, I, I think Amy Klobuchar was the best candidate, actually, next to Pete Buttigieg for president of the United States. I still think that, 100%. But I don't think the fundamental premise of your campaign should be how you look. I think that's for the people to decide that. I think it, you should be able to prove yourself based off of simple, uh, the simple idea that you are a qualified person. Elizabeth Warren, on paper, very qualified person. I mean, she's a, a really well-educated long-time-serving member in Congress, oh, an author. I mean, she's, like, on paper, really, really good. I happen to disagree with almost everything she says, and I happen to disagree with the fundamental moral character of her lying consistently. Uh, but I'm just saying that uh, she shouldn't... I mean, I think, you know, within a 30-second cl- or 27-second clip of you ending your campaign, it should be fundamental idea of what a president can be or fundamental idea of what the president can do not what they can look like, because that can sort of come back to hurt you in many ways. I don't know. It's just maybe it's the way she phrased it. I think she probably meant what I'm saying. I just think the way she phrased it was a little bit uh, odd. Maybe it's. I'm just getting into the semantics of existence. But yeah, if she's going to. She hasn't endorsed anyone yet. Uh, if she's going to endorse anyone, she would probably endorse Bernie Sanders, as they were equal. You know, they're both sort of equally radical in terms of their policy. I mean, Warren even admitted on a recent, and I think that was the most recent debate, that uh, that they are equally as radical, and uh, in, in their policy. Sorry, that their their Medicare policy is basically the same. <laughs> she said that it's incomplete. Bernie Sanders is incomplete, but they're basically the same. Bernie Sanders. I mean, they're they're almost the same candidate. It's just Bern, that you know. I mean in terms of policy they're almost the same candidate but not not specifically the thing is that Bernie Sanders is less vicious, more relatable, more honest, more consistent and more likable. So on the actual question of endorsements, Warren said that she is actually holding off right now, but I think it is very likely that in terms of ideologically, you know, ideological alignment, it is likely that she will endorse Bernie Sanders and not Joe Biden. There was an article from Gregory Craig and Ryan Nobles in CNN. She says that says Warren deflected questions about her plans Thursday when she dropped out of the race, but her public comments about Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden that night added to her concerns among movement among movement progressive that she could either endorse Joe Biden or sit out of the contest. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, I I, I think she'll endorse uh, Bernie if she endorses anyone, or she could just hold off and not endorse anyone. There's no way, in my opinion, that she'll endorse Biden. They didn't really like each other. Although, they, think now thinking back to it, they didn't really attack each other too much on the debate stage uh, because Biden— and the only reason is because Biden was projected to not be as good and, and is doing well as he was doing so well. Now, he's, now, and sorry, oh my God. That was a poorly worded sentence. The reason no one, including Elizabeth Warren, did not attack Biden is because Joe Biden was not doing well or as well as he is doing right now. Okay, that, that's a better correction. So my final predictions here— uh, not to be set in stone, I will set them in stone next week. My not-to-be-set-in-stone predictions are Biden will win the nomination for the Democratic Party. Buttigieg will get a senior role in his administration, assuming that Joe Biden wins, which I don't know if he will. Klobuchar will also get a role somewhat in the in the administration. Mike Bloomberg and Tom Steyer will go off and enjoy their billions. And Elizabeth Warren will continue to shriek about progressive issues and moving the, the, the needle forward, as she says. So that'll be interesting. It'll be fun to see what happens to these people uh, and what they actually get. I think if Bernie Sanders were to, God forbid, become the president of the United States, th- in in I mean, and again, I'm saying this not as some crazy conservative. I'm not conservative. I'm an in- politically independent person. If Bernie Sanders were to become the nominee, she w- he would probably give, uh, he would probably make, or actually, no, not even if he become the president or the nominee, he would probably appoint, or maybe is going to appoint uh, Elizabeth Warren as his VP candidate, but you have to remember. That, remember that nasty exchange between about someone calling someone... They're saying that, that a woman couldn't be president. Remember when Bernie... When Elizabeth Warren said that Bernie Sanders said that, Eliz, that Elizabeth Warren and therefore a woman could not be president. A nasty exchange in which they had a... On, you know, they, they had a confrontation on the debate stage about someone being a liar. And that's that's a fundamental disagreement. on, Especially to have in front of national TV. So it'll be interesting to see if if Bernie Sanders somehow works it in that Elizabeth Warren could be her nom- his nominee or his running mate in this upcoming election. Could you imagine that? Someone who said that you're a liar three weeks ago or five weeks ago all of a sudden becomes your running mate for the president of the United States? Oh, it's fun times we live. in. the phone number for this podcast is 312 625 See show notes and episode li- highlights at j-doherty.com. Clips and highlights at com. Thank you so much for listening. This is the J Doherty Podcast. Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by Jay Doherty. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright, J Doherty 2020. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j Dorty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. For all the latest world and national news on tech, Technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty podcast on j Doherty.com. The JD Media Network.